0: I'm interested in how we weave the future into existence. Like there's always that story that we could default to, and but the the game is to not collapse into it. And the key question I ask myself, is it the traumatized self or is it the true self? Mm-hmm. Where are you sourcing your life from right now?
1: You've gotten great at divine working, but what about divine living? One of the biggest honors ever of the Divine Living podcast. I am here with my mentor, Catherine Woodward Thomas and now friend. And I know that you all know who she is because I wrote about her so much in my book. And this is the woman that I wrote about who is the reason I a called in my soulmate, B, am still with my soulmate and also, the reason I have the depth of feminine connection that I do today, Catherine Woodward Thomas is the best-selling author of Calling in the One and also Conscious Uncoupling, and is just truly the voice of modern femininity that is rooted in ancient beginnings of what it means to be a feminine woman. So, Catherine Woodward Thomas, welcome Yay! to the Divine Living Podcast.
0: Thank you, Gina. It's such a treat for me, too. You know it's so rare to be able to say you know to two women who have been kind of on the journey together for this much time to be able to say, "Wow, we both knew each other way back when
1: it's It's so Isn't true, that so sweet it's It's such a joy it's um yes yeah. it it really Aww. really is you know relationships are so meaningful and to have longevity in them in this era is really special.
0: I'm just so proud of you. I love your book. Aww, I love what I love what you've created for all of us. Aww. You're you're wonderful and thank you so much for the honor of being on your podcast now. <laughs> what can <laughs> I tell you? How can I empower everybody?
1: Yes, yes, yes. Well let's talk about it because I don't talk about relationships a lot. And unlike when I first met you and was the hot mess express when it came to the local loser <laughs> rock stars of Detroit, remember that era? and I
0: do. I remember it well.
1: <laughs> and then, you know, being so committed to calling my soulmate. And then at the beginning, Glenn and I, not even necessarily having to do with me and him a little bit with he and I, but more with our my external family dynamics, had stuff. But since then, Glenn has been the easiest part of my life. And so it's like, you know, I think that we talk about the stuff that we struggle with and that we want to overcome or that we're like working to manifest. So and I get the question all the time, like, Gina, we want more on relationships. So, ladies, I'm bringing to you the the queen of all things relationship plane. So we'll we'll dive in deep to love and relationships today.
0: Well, and if you look at your relationship with Glenn, He's so, I mean, the thing about Glenn is he got you. He got you and he got you before you got you even in (laughs) a way, like you kind of had these dreams and desires, but you know, all of us at the beginning are like, could I really do that? Is that really like life wanting that for me? Is that the right thing? Do I have to dim down my dreams? And he was always like, No, you be your big powerful self. Mm -hmm. And whenever you would kind of collapse into getting more reasonable, he'd say, no, Mm -hmm. don't be reasonable. Mm -hmm. Be Gina. Yeah. So I think that was a pretty fabulous foundation. And it also shows us why we actually need relationships to realize our greater potentials. Totally. Okay. Because I think that we women have, you know, ever since the 60s when it was kind of like, I don't need to be a wife to be a person, to be a viable person. I don't need to be married. I don't need to be a mother. I can be my own person. I can define power myself. I can own things. I can create things. And thank God that our mothers and grandmothers fought for that, you know. Mm -hmm. But I think in a way, you know, some of us thought that that was the end of the road, that, the, that it was just about taking our power as women who could affect change and grab our seat at the table and rightfully so contribute to it. But I think that it's really interesting that we also have to note that as we women rose in power, so too did we rise in our unhappiness levels. Hmm that they almost went side by side because we are really hardwired for happiness. And we kind of, because we had to, our mothers and grandmothers go into a more masculine system of power and show up inside of that to go kind of head to head, toe to toe. Mm -hmm. But I think that we women do hold power differently, that ours is a relational power, and that the things that are coming out now about attachment theory, really do demonstrate that our relationships, when they're working, when they're healthy, actually create the foundation for us to become all that we have the power to to become and the power to create. And that that is indeed what we need to now come back to is, yes, as strong women in our autonomy, in the center of our creativity and our power, Remembering to include ourselves when we're thinking of who we're taking care of mm. and to actually prioritize ourselves, all of that. But it's to not throw the baby out with the bathwater anymore. It's to recognize that we are the ones now who are recalibrating the rules of relationship mm-hmm. and and looking at what the wonderful Polly Young Eisenrath, who's one of my favorite psychotherapists now that I'm now learning from and following myself. She calls it love between equals, and she reminds us that never before have we been at a time in human history where we want so much from relationship, we're expecting so much from relationship, but that it's a shift in power dynamics where it's really love between equal partners. And so it's pushing on us to grow now the skills that would allow that to happen. So. You know, part of what I'm excited for you is that you have created that with Glenn. Mm. And uh it's not been a straight shot. I know you guys have really worked at it.
1: Mhm. Mhm. I love I I want to come back to that. When you said relational power, like everything inside of me just like lit up. Let's talk more about that because I know we sort of in this community we know that masculine is about I and feminine is about we. So I'm feeling like this is the feminine sourcing of, well, here, I'll let you talk. Like, yeah, yeah. What is relation well, relational power?
0: Well, it's the difference between power over versus power with. Mm. And if we even look at what's happened with COVID leadership, you know, all the women leaders in the world did much better mm-hmm. than the men leaders. Because mm-hmm. it was a time to inspire people, to encourage people to operate. Cohesively to join together so they could inspire. They could ignite the imagination. They could create cohesion enough to get something done. And if you look at a lot of, you know, the, the power over dynamic, which, you know, was good for some things. I mean, you know, if you want to, if you want to, you know, build a, a tall building, you better have masculine power at your fingertips and, you know, so that you can, break everything down to its parts and measure everything out perfectly and budget everything out and project those things. So it's not like one or the other, Mm -hmm. but they are different systems of power. And if you want to create true love. Or you want to actualize your potentials, things that you can't necessarily, you know, project on a business plan. You really need the power of magic. So you need the power of being able to sense into the possibilities even in the field. So it's Mm -hmm. your relationship with life and how you hold the possibilities that are present and how you navigate those possibilities. Or it's, it starts even in your relationship with yourself because our relationships with others can never be better than our relationship with ourselves Mm. and how we encourage ourselves and how we soothe ourselves and heal ourselves and build ourselves up and care for ourselves. That's the foundation. And then, of course, the power of collaboration, the power of what we can create together. Very different than I'm the boss and the dictator
1: Mm -hmm. and you do
0: what I tell you to do. And more becomes possible when we're together. So it really is a different system and it's more of a life affirming system. And I think it's a more fun
1: system. (laughs) For sure. I've seen, not to get it back to, to career topics, but I've just seen so much the more I've been in collaboration. It's like the list has grown. The money has grown. The fun has grown. The community has grown. Like it's all so much easier. So what advice do you have for women who are thinking like, well, Captain, this sounds great, but can I really trust it? Can I really trust that? Because we've been so programmed that you need to work hard and you need to figure it out by yourself and, and not be a burden to others. It's like literally counterintuitive to everything that most of us have been taught our whole lives.
0: I think that's really true. So that's now what we call the inner glass ceiling.
1: Ooh say more.
0: Well, you know the the beliefs that we have that the value of uh, who I am as a woman is valued by two things. One is my beauty, and the other is how much I give and take care of people. Mm. I think you know, it's to become conscious of these kind of assumptions. I mean that is the journey of a transformational generation like we are is to to notice the assumptions were inside of them and to begin to challenge them. What might be more true? Is that really true? Just because my mother did that, my grandmother did that, my great-grandmother did that, is it my value? Is it true? Is it what life needs from us right now? Is for me to disappear myself and martyr and sacrifice myself uh, for the needs of other people? Or is there something else that's coming into into the manifest world, which is the role model of a woman who's standing in the fullness of her power, who's advocating for what's life affirming and good on this planet in ways that reflect our values, that have integrity with our values, and and allow our children to witness that and to begin design family systems where you're you're kind of You know, playing with the roles, you're bending the roles and the rules of how we thought things should be. You know, sometimes it's hard for us to get off it. You know, a lot of us were raised with this idea that, well, the men are supposed to earn more money than me.
1: Well, that was one of the things you worked with me so beautifully. It was like I could not get past the fact. And Glenn doesn't always love the way I tell this story, but I think it's true. So I do. Ladies in case you think I married this older wealthy man I wish <laughs> <laughs> I got I got no nothing around that he is older than me but when we married he was not wealthier than me we were both broke <laughs> okay let's just be real he divorced very badly and I was it was so ingrained in me I was going to marry a wealthy man and I wrote about it in the book but it was Catherine that you did some digging to help me Discover, like, where, where is that value coming from? Like, is that actually what's important to you, Gina, or are you just living out mother, grandmother kind of conditioning?
0: Well, and even all the way back to happily ever after, because it was never the princess who found the broke, impoverished prince and kissed him. (laughs) Right. Wake and said, come, live happily ever after in my queendom. Oh. So, so we've kind of, since little girls, we've been kind of indoctrinated with this expectation, this covert expectation that meeting and, and mating meant upward mobility for us without really lifting mm-hmm. a finger. And all we had to do is look really beautiful and sweet. So, you know, there's a lot of covert things that we are deconstructing now, but if you look at the cost of, of the old paradigm, you know, let's dig a little deeper. So also the rules of that, you know, if you have a trophy wife to a very wealthy man, that is her job, is to be a trophy wife, right? That's the job of the trophy wife, is to always be beautiful, to always kind of subjugate themselves. So that's a role-based, that's an old-fashioned world-based relationship, when you start moving into soul-based relationship, because where the world is moving is into a more feminine version of power, life is pushing on women to rise. And so sometimes our soulmates are going to look like they are empowering us to become who we came here to be. When I was calling in the next one, because, you know, I did calling in the one based on my own experience of a magical, magical how we met story. Then we were living our happily ever after story until 10 years in we got divorced. And then, of course, I had a big PR problem, as I like to say, because I was the queen of calling in the one. It really wasn't in the cards for me to get divorced because we're all kind of inside this happily ever after myth, which is, by the way, 400 years old. Created when the lifespan was less than 40 years of age at a time where there were very few options in life other than to just stay married, which at that time was a contract around who owned land. It had nothing to do with romance or love, but pushing that aside. So the beginning of, you know, the happily ever after story was this like escapist fantasy for people who really had no possibility of ever getting out of poverty. And um so we have to look at the cultural construct, like what gave birth to certain ideas that we now take as though God made the mountains, God made the sun, God made us to live happily ever after, and our ideal partner lifts us into everlasting happiness and wealth. OK, so we're deconstructing some of these things. We're saying, what does the world need right now? The world needs us to come and contribute our gifts, to contribute our creativity, our greatness, our love, to create businesses that are reflective of our love, that are serving the life process, that are sustainable so that we're guarding our grandchildren's grandchildren. You know, that's what the world needs right now. So it is a relational form of power. And sometimes it's going to look like men don't have as much money because, oh, guess what? The reason why women are leading the way right now I don't know—is it nature or nurture? I don't know. Are we born this way? Were we just given all this time to work on ourselves? Where it wasn't looked down upon us because we weren't producing immediately, but men have lived in that world. And part of the reason why there's no conscious men is because they haven't been given the time and the luxury of going off on, you know, two-week-long meditation retreats. Wow. They really haven't until now, Mm -hmm. but you know what's happening? And I've been saying this for years. When I do a three day course on calling in the one, I have men coming in. And of course, now we've all been sheltering at place for months. The men are blowing my mind because Mm -hmm. they are equal consciousness with the women. When I talk to one of the men, it's as though I'm talking to a woman in the depths, the self reflection, Mm -hmm. the willingness themselves as the source, the the depth and the beauty. And it's like, oh good, we finally took the pressure off. Mm. So that they could go inward and do some catch-up work. So I started to just say that when I, so I got consciously uncoupled, which gave birth to that new book. And uh, of course, I was grateful that Gwyneth Paltrow kicked it into the lexicon. But then at some point I was wanting to create the next one calling in the next one. So I, I actually, you know, I was doing my own course. I was visioning and trying on for size who I am in that future fulfilled. What does that feel like, taste like, sound like, smell like? And I was working with this woman. I hired a matchmaker and uh, I didn't really resonate with what she was doing. It was more like that was the one step in front of me to do and just to demonstrate to the universe that I was willing to do whatever was before me to co-create this future. And she kept helping me to refine what I was looking for. But she had an expectation that I was looking for a wealthy man. And so every week she'd say, and of course he's wealthy. Of course Mm. he's wealthy. And But I would feel into it and say, no, he's solvent. No, he's responsible. No, he doesn't want me to take care of him. But the truth is, I want to buy my own home. Mm. I want to be wealthy. I want to be wealthy. I want him to support me to be wealthy. Mm. I have all these ideas about philanthropy and supporting the arts and creating what I call love mischief in the world. I want my own money. I don't want it to be his money. I want it to be my money." And she never really did get with the program, but but she was always just like, really? You don't want a wealthy man? I mean, we're creating whatever you want. But I think I was intuiting the future because, in fact, I called in a man who is a connoisseur of the arts, mm. who is highly accomplished in creating extraordinarily beautiful and heartwarming contributions to community through the arts. Uh, he founded one of the theaters on Broadway, that's wow. the most known theater for bringing Shakespeare and classics to New York. He, I mean, he's an exceptional man, and he's always put creative contribution first. If he would like, and anyway, and his values are impeccable, and uh, and that sometimes, you know, has for him just meant that he hasn't been all that interested. But he is solvent, and he is financially secure. <laughs> But I make more money than him, which is great. Mm-hmm. Cause I have exactly the man that I need and want. And he, he loves what I'm up to and he supports me and he's a thinking partner with me. And so, you know, we're, we're deconstructing some of these old ideas. If I had gotten all stuck on money, I would have passed him over.
1: Mm-hmm. Same, same. I'm curious when you were like so many women, like, in the position to call in the next one.
0: Did you doubt at all? Oh yes, I did. Thank you for that question. No, I really think, you know, even the queen of calling in the one. Sure, because we all have our ideas why that's not possible for us. So I'm I, you know, I'm at the age where I actually forget how old I am. Isn't that wonderful? I think <laughs> I'm 63.
1: Oh. I have to ask Michael. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you look better than ever, Kathy. Okay, Not thank ever. you. I
0: think I'm 63. But I was 61 at the time I was looking for him. And just, you know, like you could just stop right there, like all the good ones are taken or they're all married or they're all too damaged or, you know, game over, I'm 61 or I'm too wrinkled or I've got cellulite on my thighs or, you know, or I've got two daughters in college and I've got to support them and who can take that on. You know, we all have our reasons. We Mm -hmm. really have our reasons. So as I said, I got support. I got the, I hired a coach. And also, this is the fun thing that I did. So you so,
1: hired a coach to call in the next one. I did. And I you hired know, a coach. Women need to hear this. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, I hear all this imposter syndrome and I should know this or I should figure it out. That's beautiful. No, no, no.
0: I hired a coach. And here's the other thing I did that was kind of wild. Rather than make a vision board, mm-hmm. I decided to make a musical vision board. And so I ducked because I'm a singer songwriter,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but I hadn't sung. I kind of because I didn't believe I was good enough. I gave up my singing career in my mid 30s. Wow. And at the time it broke my heart. I was a cabaret artist in Manhattan all through my 20s. Wow, I didn't
1: know and, that. Oh, you didn't know.
0: Mm. <laughs> For some odd reason both Marianne Williamson and I were both cabaret artists. Isn't wow. that the funniest thing? Yeah. So anyway, so I loved it. It was my passion. I have I have a degree from Tisch School of the Arts. I was Yeah. I I studied acting on Broadway, but I went into cabaret. That was my love. But I couldn't figure it out. And, And really, the truth was is that I had a very big story. that I wasn't good enough. Not hard to figure out where that came from. You know, my upbringing, the multiple traumas, my mother being somewhat narcissistic. Forgive me for using such a common term. But I, that's very, it's a very common pattern, which is why I mentioned it. A lot of those of us mm-hmm. who had parents who were kind of one dimensional in that way mm-hmm. did not develop a core sense of self that would be the solid enough self to be able to go out and do our dreams. So one of my lifelong journeys and, and certainly that this is all in the work of calling in the one was solidifying a strong enough, authentic enough sense of self, not like an egoic reactive self to that, you know, I'm not good enough story, but just a healthy sense of self and a healthy ego. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I'm doing, uh, so I gave up the singing career, but I had this good fortune or the good karma or just the grace of meeting Isaac and Toral Corin, the Corin brothers. And they are two amazing artists from Australia who toured the world with Pink and Rod Stewart, Coldplay. They've got a gold record of their own. They're amazing artists. But at some point in their career, they got kind of bored with their own success and they said, what we want to do when we grow up is cause the success of others. We want to have other people find their voice. So I met them and I was actually hiring them to come and do one of my events to do this fun musical game that they play with people where everyone in the room writes a song together about their transformation. Oh, how cool. It was wonderful. So at at the end of that meeting, they both leaned and they said, and what about you? And of course, you know, I just started crying
1: and just my gave up and I wasn't good enough.
0: (laughs) So anyway, so they said, well, why don't we write some music with you? And so I hired them to co-write and co-produce an album with me. And that became my vision board. So my first song.
1: Oh, Catherine.
0: My first song is, is about breaking up. My second song is about forgiveness, uh, of the breakup. My third song is about connecting with the possibilities of love. And, and I just kind of just, so it's a seven song CD, but the final song on the CD. Is about the having of love. So, and I, and I'm a lyricist because I did, I studied lyric writing and all that. So usually Isaac writes a lot of lyrics, but they let me do my thing and they kind of worked with me to uh, support whatever I did. So I was writing all the lyrics and I wanted it to be congruent with my teachings. So the final song was about what it feels like to have love, to be grateful in love now. Woo! And I couldn't write it, Gina. I couldn't write it. And I and I kept postponing. And you know, when we can't do things, what we do is our desk gets messy or we get obligated with our kids or we suddenly have some crisis or, you know, that's what it looks like when we're in avoidance. So I'm doing that and doing that and doing that. I finally call Isaac. I said, look, I think I'm not writing this because I actually am not. And I have like no possibility around this.
1: Wow. And
0: he said, OK, well, tell me, tell me. And so I just kind of poured my heart out about being 61 and, you know, and and I had the, you know, we all have our thing when we go out on dates and stuff that, you know, I know because I work with now with thousands of people doing this. I know we all have our version of this, but my version was, oh gosh, it just scares people when I tell them I wrote Calling in the One. Because I've had guys say things like, well, I'm not your next one. Don't think of me like the one. You know, like that kind of like, really? You had to say that? (laughs) That was so unkind. Okay. But so I tell him all this stuff and he's listening with this deep love. And he says, well, tell me why it is going to happen. (gasps) And so I start telling him that story. And and as I'm saying it, he says, okay, I think you can write it right now, yeah? And I said, yep. And I got off the phone and I started writing this song. Sitting by the fire on a Saturday night, reading David White by the flickering light, I look up and you're smiling. It's only been a year since the night that we wed when we danced till dawn, then lay flowers in our bed as the sun started rising. Could we grow roots like a tree, go as deep as the sea together? Could we expand like the sky and sail right on by bad weather? For once in my life, I can hear the music to my song. Everything's right as I listen to you sing along. Harmonize on and on. I love you. And then there's one more verse, Wrapped in sheets on a cold winter's morn, my freezing feet that you're keeping toasty warm as we laugh like children. Angels fly by as we try to count the grace from the very first time we saw each other's face. What is half a trillion? And then we go back into, Could we grow roots like a tree? Oh, we go deep as you see. So, so then they had gorgeous music for it. We went in, we recorded it. I didn't have a name for the song. I didn't know what it was called, so we just kept calling it the I Love You song. A few weeks later, I met Michael in this really wild, unplanned way. Three weeks after I met him, I had not told him about this song. I mentioned that I was writing a CD. He sends me a David White poem. (gasps) Oh! And that's how I knew. And our life together is that song. Oh,
1: Catherine!
0: We laugh like children all the time. And as a matter of fact, we just bought a house up in the Berkeley Hills. There are two redwoods. Could we grow roots like a tree? Oh. Two gorgeous redwoods right in the front yard, side by side, like that Tom Killiam oh. famous portrait that he created. I mean, it's and then and and our from our windows we see the ocean. We see the water. So, it is that song. So, of course, the song was renamed Michael's Song. And by the time the CD was released, I was already engaged to Michael. Wow. So, I think, you know, I'm interested in how we weave the future into existence. Like, there's always that story that we could default to, and but the, the game is to not collapse into it, and the key question I ask myself, is it the traumatized self or is it the true self? Mm. Where are you sourcing your life from right now?
1: Mm. Yes. Is it the traumatized self or the true self? Where am I sourcing from right now? Oh, Catherine. And, oh, yeah. oh, you want to hear icing on the cake? Wait a minute.
0: Icing on the cake. It's okay. Then I'm we'll we released it, and it went number one on iTunes Jazz charts, and it made the Billboard charts.
1: Oh my gosh, Catherine! I can't wait to hear this. It's called Lucky in Love.
0: It's called Lucky in Love. Isn't oh, great story!
1: Oh, so so yeah. beautiful, so powerful. I mean, listening to that makes me literally believe anything is possible. So yes. 61-year-old yeah. women that are calling in <laughs> love or someone else who's got to help something or a money miracle. I just want everyone to know, like apply this, apply this, apply this. Like re-listen to this episode, soak up Catherine's wisdom. And when you do open yourself up to what she opened us up to mm-hmm. is possibility. Possibility, Catherine. You more than always over deliver. Thank you, <laughs> thank you for, thank you for your wow factor. It's just so needed and so so well received here.
0: Thank you, Gina. I love you so much. I'm so proud of you, and just sending so much love to everyone who's here with us.
1: Thank you so much. And Kevin, where can people stay in touch with you, find you? I'll, we'll put it in the links in the show notes as well, but where would you like Yeah.
0: To well, I, I think the main thing is to, is the love out loud messages. So I, at some point, uh, a couple of years ago, I just decided I didn't want to just teach people who had come into a class. I wanted to just teach anyone who wanted to be taught. So I have little vignettes little teaching, things that I send out three times a week, love out loud messages. And uh, you can just sign up for that on my com site.
1: Great. com. Go there and get on the list, follow her, uh, sign up for the courses, download the music. You and your (laughs) life will be blessed. So much love. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Gina.
1: All right, Queen, did you love this episode and know someone who would love it too? I would love for you to leave a review on iTunes and share this podcast over Instagram. Tag me at Gina DeVee and thank you for Queen supporting Queens and for your continued support.